My brothers and sisters, it is a great joy to look out and see all of you here today uh, on a very happy day when we celebrate the solemn vows of our brother Joseph. St. Benedict, in the beginning of his rule, asks this question. He has God ask the question, actually. Who of you longs for life? And I always find this a poignant question when it comes up. It comes up each week in the Psalms as well. Who doesn't long for life? Who of us uh, doesn't want to live? But of course, what the psalmist and St. Benedict are getting at goes beyond just being alive. What we are seeking is a life that is real, that is authentic, meaningful, joyful, that comports with the truth, that, that uh, gives us the feeling of, of knowing, understanding, a life of wisdom. Now, seeking such a life can be hard work and uh, even dangerous, as we see from the example of Elijah in the first reading, uh, because, in fact, we live in a world where there are many temptations to live an inauthentic life, a life that is not in accord with the truth of the human person. So we all seek life and long for it, but we don't know how to get there all at once. But I selected out this passage from the rule because it seemed to apply well to Brother Joseph and this liturgy today of solemn profession. Brother Joseph has always struck me as someone who really longs for life, and this longing appears in the, the great energy he has, his many talents and interests. It's also apparent in the many twists and turns uh, that led him through various expressions of service to God and to neighbor, uh, residing at various times in several different states, having different jobs and so on. I think it's fair to say that this longing can appear as a certain kind of restlessness, especially the kind of restlessness that St. Augustine identified as being a part of the human condition, an unwillingness to take the easy road just because it's easy, and a willingness to uproot when there is an opportunity to pursue a more authentic life. And what this searching has led to is a deep and abiding realization of our Lord's words in the gospel today. True and lasting life is found in Christ, that we are to receive our life from him as sap moves from trunk to stem. Now, before I go further, it is worth noting something more about this desire for life. Uh, it can have the appearance of being self-serving sometimes. Uh, of course, we all have desires, and sometimes these desires are simply for ourselves, our own purposes. Uh, we need to note that the point of the vine metaphor in the gospel is not only the life that we receive from God through Christ, but it is about the fruit that we bear in this union of life. The fruit of a life in Christ is to be contrasted not only with a sterile life of self-enclosure, but also with the notion of works. Because monasteries can be misunderstood, even by monks, I should note, as places where we undertake good works in an effort to earn salvation in some way, to get God's approval. But this is actually putting the cart before the horse whenever it happens. A monastery is a place of a particular kind of stability, abiding, remaining in Christ in order to bear fruit, 
in the form of prayer and service, hospitality, love, self-sacrifice, the whole form of discipleship. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. According to tradition, St. Benedict, uh, at the end of his life, set up 12 monasteries with 12 monks each. And this is clearly intended to show us that the monastery is meant to be, for the contemporary church, whatever time or place it is, it is meant to be what John Paul II called a living witness of the resurrection. It is the apostolic band after the resurrection, reconstituted in our midst. And just as the apostles, in the Acts of the Apostles, appoint deacons to oversee the administrative work so that they could focus on prayer and the word of God, so it is today that men and women of prayer are set apart, like the Jerusalem church, to be a particular kind of witness of abundant life in Christ, to point the way to the rest of the world. And there's one other distinction I would like to make in concluding today, one between the legitimate desire for life that we all have and what St. John the Evangelist elsewhere calls the pride of life, uh, which is a corruption of this desire. This distinction, I hope, will illuminate uh, the monastic withdrawal from the world and also what happens in solemn vows. Uh, There are many alarming events that uh, you can find all about uh, in the news media. We get showered with them every day. And in these events, the reporting of these events, there is often an implicit call to do something, to get involved, to make a change. And uh, obviously we all want something different than, than the kind of violence that we see, the kind of corruption that we see in the world. Uh, that's endemic to human life. The problem with this call to action, as it were, is that it assumes that we know what to do. It assumes that I'm not part of the problem, that that somehow the problem is out there and I need to somehow change other people and not myself, necessarily. It assumes that I know how to separate the good and the intelligent people from the bad charlatans, and that I'm not one of the bad charlatans. Um, It assumes that I'm never part of the propping up or cooperating with the violence of the world in some way. In this way, activism can be a way simply of managing my guilt. At least I'm doing something, you know, I'm trying. Uh, But can it possibly go far enough because we're still in this enclosed world of, of human society? How do we get ourselves out of this? Well, what Christ offers us is precisely this, a vantage point from outside the tangle of human struggle and failure and folly. Now, this vantage point outside of the world is precisely the vantage point of him who came into the world from there to show us the way to this place of life, to show us we don't have to live this way. The way of life is paradoxically the way of the cross. It is through baptism and our conformity to the cross and to the resurrection that we begin to live a different kind of life, a life rooted in Christ, a life that we couldn't produce for ourselves, that we couldn't figure out on our own. 
It is a life that is poured out to us from another world, literally, another reality. And it's actually the true reality because it is the reality of the Creator, the one who truly is God Himself. And so all of us in baptism are removed to some extent from the world for the sake of the world, you know, to show others what this path of life is. And again, most importantly, this other world is not one that we make ourselves. It's something that we receive, like branches receiving life from the trunk of the vine. We hand our lives over to God in recognition of his goodness, that he is coming to save us, in recognition that he knows the truth of all things, he knows the true measure of things, and he wishes our good. We hand our lives over in imitation of Christ who offered himself up to the Father. Now, uh, those who mocked Christ on the cross wanted him to do something. Uh, the crowds wanted him to be king. The apostles wanted him to inaugurate the kingdom now in the way they wanted. Uh, they wanted him to call down fire on the cities that rejected him. And he didn't fall for any of these temptations uh, because these are manifestations of this world-enclosed mindset that, that doesn't open itself to the Father. The need to do something to assert power to solve our problems, a misplaced confidence in human ingenuity, this is connected to this pride of life. It's very tempting when we're talented or energetic to think we can solve a lot of problems. But in truth, we're all uh, simply human beings, which is a beautiful thing to be. But we have to see the truth of who we are, and we see that truth in relation to Christ. And so to be removed from this necessity, to be removed from this web that makes up our world, the necessity of participating in a world that tends to be ordered by power and violence and the threat of violence, this requires input from outside the system. And it's the input of the Son of God who came into the world precisely to free us from it. The funeral, Paul, that we will use in a moment is a reminder of the Christian's death to the world and a reinvigoration of the grace of baptism for the particular charism of monastic life, this apostolic life, wholehearted discipleship and devotion to Jesus Christ. And so we monks, like all Christians, separate from the world for the sake of the world, just as Jesus rose to the Father to lead us all away from death and toward our true desire, life in Christ. And as Benedictines, finally, we go one step further. You are about to witness not only Brother Joseph's solemn vows, but also his solemn consecration. Brother Joseph is to be set aside as it were, from worldly use, so that all that he does becomes the work of God. And so he becomes, in a special way, a close disciple, associate of Christ, continuing his work of salvation simply by living out the Paschal mystery in witness to Christ's salvation. This is a blessing for the whole Church, for all Christians, a sign that the Holy Spirit continues to sanctify us today by means of the religious life. And so let, let us now ask the saints to join us in sending our brother Joseph into this new life that he has chosen out of love for Jesus Christ. And let us reflect on the meaning and challenge of religious life for the whole church. And may our reflection on this give us the ability to point to Christ in service of all 
who long for life.